Hello, good friends. Welcome to a color-coded symphony on the air. I'm Irina Spiritu, coming to you from the unceded traditional territory of the Ohlone here in Oakland, California. A color-coded symphony is a musical experience whose aim is to encourage openness and nurture curiosity towards cultures by connecting our ethnic origins to music and rhythms worldwide. In this episode, our guests are Joe Siemens and Leanna Green with The Rhapsody Project, based in Seattle, Washington. We share some songs and talk about the various programs they provide, such as facilitating sessions that look at roots music to address racism, celebrating our own heritage, and offering music programs for the youth, and so much more. But first, let's listen to this Bessie Smith tune performed by Briar, also from The Rhapsody Project, with her husband, Joe Siemens. This is called Keep It To Yourself. A two, a one, two, three, four. Oh, yes, keep it to yourself. If your man is nice and sweet, serving you lots of young pig meat, oh yes, keep it to yourself. If you know you are standing fast, got him worried where you at, oh, oh yes, keep it to yourself. He don't fall for no one He don't call for no one He don't give nobody none Of his L-O-V-E Cause it's yours If your man is full of action Giving you lots of satisfaction Oh yes, keep it to yourself the best. 
let go Honey, don't broadcast that on nobody's radio And please, honey, please keep it to yourself Keep it to yourself That was Keep It To Yourself, performed by Briar and her husband, Joe Siemens, a tune by Bessie Smith. Now, I've been a fan of Joe Siemens and Ben Hunter's music for some time now, and you can check out their music at www.benjomusic.com. So when Joe started a workshop called Face the Music, Using Roots Music to Confront Racism, I signed up. This was last year, and the topic is right up my alley, as you may know. So um, I highly recommend it. And from there, I found out that the workshop is part of a bigger umbrella called the Rhapsody Project. So here's Joe sharing what it's all about. The Rhapsody Project is a community that celebrates music and heritage through an anti-racist lens. And it's has many facets that we'll get into, but that, in a nutshell, that is what we do. It started as a program um, with my friend and business partner, Ben Hunter, who, you know, we started teaching together in an after-school program at, at Washington Middle School, which is in the middle of Seattle. And we started asking ourselves, like, what would it look like if we taught students, the, the, we gave them the music education that we wish we had had. And so it started in about 2013, we started it as a program of Ben's nonprofit, which is called Community Arts Create. Mm -hmm. And then around the time that Face the Music launched, um, we spun it off into its own independent. Um, it, it was growing to the point where it was not just a program. It needed to become its own thing. So now it is its own nonprofit. And and we thanks to programs like Face the Music, we've had people like Leanna join and engage their talents and you know, help grow it to a, a place that we never had imagined in its in its early years. I met Leanna Green from the Face the Music sessions, and here she is sharing how she felt before taking the workshop and then afterwards joining the Rhapsody Project as the curriculum development lead of their recently added program, Culture Bear Pathways. I wrote to Joe ahead of time and was like, you know, I'm brown and queer, and I want to make sure that if I sign up for this thing, it's not just going to be a series of microaggressions. Um, and he, and he, was, he, he wrote back and was like, ah, you know, sometimes that can happen, but we'll do our best to mitigate. He's like, I don't think, I don't think it'll feel terrible for you. Um, and so I signed up sort of with the agreement that like, ah, if this doesn't work for me, I, I'm just going to bail. And he was like, yeah, yeah, this is totally fine. Um, but it ended up working out great. And uh, we were in the same cohort. So, you know, that's awesome. Good. I was not yeah. the only person of color. It was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah. I made some great friends. That's great. Well, well, so Joe, so when you were coming up with Face the Music, I mean, was, was there something that, that drove you to create, you know, what was going to be in these sessions and how you wanted it to look like? Like what was, what was driving that and, and why? The first thing that was driving it was just, um, well, you know, growing up in rural Oregon, I was not surrounded with everybody looked like me. Everybody was white folks and there was vanishingly few people representing other cultures with the, the rare exchange student as an exception to that. 
um, but there weren't any, you know, there weren't any cult other cultures. There were folks from outside that would come through, but not ever really live, live or settle there. So I, I started with kind of being awed by how much I was learning through studying black American music and traveling and performing with black American musicians like Phil Wiggins and Ben Hunter and my wife, Briar and the different people that I got to come in contact to. And I, and I really got an, an incredible education, you know, um, in, in how issues of race and equity work. And I also was continue to be a partner in a project called black and tan hall that started a white caucus. And so I helped with the facilitation of that white caucus. And so those, those two experiences made me realize, oh, the music is a really powerful tool to start the conversation that everybody needs to be having about to get, you know, to get more comfortable with how uncomfortable we are mm -hmm. um, for one reason or another. And so out of that, the idea for Face the Music was born because I thought, well, this would be a, this could actually be even maybe sometimes a fun way to discuss racism. Who would have imagined it? And of course, it's not always fun. But it, you at least learn some cool history and some and, and you meet some great people as I got to meet the two of you along the way of taking part in it. So that's kind of what it grew out of. Well, what, what I, I have to say, what I got out of it was it wasn't just about learning about the musicians, you know, throughout history, um, but also you were great at asking questions and, you know, putting in discussion topics for each of us to explore and within ourselves, not just with each other, but asking questions of ourselves and how we react to, to these situations. Um, I think you started it off with Burt Williams and um, his story. I, I learned so much from from these sessions and and also, you know, I'm, I'm usually like to listen more than speak and it allowed me to make myself, you know, have that voice and find that voice for me to speak. So I, I, I really, I highly recommend uh, to the listeners to check out Face the Music. And I know this is going to be aired in April, but you know, you're starting one tonight, aren't you? How, how often do you have them? The goal, the goal is to launch a new cohort every quarter. So um, if, you know, sometimes it's hard to get, you know, there's Zoom fatigue. There's a lot of factors that make it tr tricky to get folks to be able to all hop on a meeting every night, the same the same time for eight weeks straight. Very um, true. <laughs> and 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 I and I and I, don't, and I tell people, you know, they're like, well, I might have to be late on such as a day. Is it okay if I still? And I'm like, of course, you know, like everybody's going to have a life, and they're not going to be able to be at every single moment of the thing. But, right. You know. So the goal is, yeah, one or two cohorts running every every three months. Um, is what we is what we shoot for with it right so so then from face the music kind of uh sprouted the culture bearings pathway can you talk about that yeah um so i i'll give a very brief history of how i ended up at the rhapsody project and at face the music is that um i am a multi-instrumentalist and my degrees are in classical trumpet um, but i don't really play trumpet anymore um, and I play a lot of other things, but in the pandemic, it felt like a good time. I play a lot of collaborative music in bands and in groups. And uh, when everything shut down, uh, the banjo had been on my list for a long time and I just kind of hadn't gotten around to it. Um, and that felt like a good time to um, hunker down with a new instrument um, all by myself. And so I got deep into banjo world um, and you know that led me down the rabbit hole of the history of the banjo. And that kind of led me to face the music um, and then as I started to work more with the Rhapsody Project, once once Face the Music was done and 
um, and I started to do some other work with the Rhapsody Project, I was experiencing some like real imposter syndrome um, because mm. I felt new to like old time and blues. I mean, I have, I have a, you know, quote unquote, great music education from conservatories and stuff, but I still felt like, you know, I'm, I'm new to this part of music. Um, and actually it was Joe and some of the other folks around the Rhapsody Project that kind of were like, hey, hold on, like you, you don't have to have like a college degree in old time music or whatever to be, to feel like a legit practitioner of the thing, you know? Um, and then I kind of sat back and went through all the like research and the reading, the documentaries, all the things that I had done as I was exploring the banjo. And I was like, wait, I actually did, like I gave myself a great education here. Um, and so then I sat down and made a list. I wrote down everything. I tried to remember everything that I'd read and all the documentaries and all the things I'd listened to um, and the conferences. I mean, Zoom was helpful because I was able to go to conferences and things that I would have never been able to go to um, in the pandemic. Um, and so from there, I just realized that like, wait, anyone could give themselves an education in anything, right? Like for me, it was just kind of the banjo and kind of the old time black American music, um, but anyone could really do this. And so um, then that became a thing that we decided for with the Rhapsody Project, like let's turn that into something. And so, um, so what I've done is just taken mostly a lot of the stuff that I found for myself. And then now that I'm trying to curate for other people, I'm finding even more amazing resources, but just trying to develop a packet of resources that people can explore on their own with the idea that, um, you know, I'm not trying to be a gatekeeper. It's just a, it's just a starting point for people. Like here's some ideas for some resources, books, things, podcasts, whatever, and then be inspired and go find even more. And we, we encourage our, um, the people that are doing this curriculum to come back and share, you know, this, this article you suggested led me to this article. I, you know, I want to share this with everybody else um, in hopes that people, it's sort of like a collaborative yet DIY education. <laughs> like that's kind of the idea. It does go hand in hand with, with face to music, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It really does. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, I was kind of going down a rabbit hole myself and because um, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to honor um, the, the music of the African diaspora coming into the U.S. and how it's influenced so many genres. And I found and I, maybe, you know, of her, Dr. Portia Maltzby. She started, she's a professor in, um, in University of Indi or Indiana University, and she started the Archives of African-American Music and Culture. And there was an interview uh, of her online, um, and she she plays different bits of music from Africa, and then you know modern music, and you know in different kinds of genres. And she talks about music and dance being one and the same is just part of the culture. And and so I definitely get it regarding the rabbit hole. <laughs> but so but the Rhapsody Project is so much more. You you work with the youth. Um, and you also, you know, for local communities, as well as um, online all over the world. And so, because um, I've been looking at your, your website here, and you have shared a video of uh, Surely by the Creekside. And can you, can you tell us what, how that came about? It's just such a sweet video. And I'd, I'm going to share it on social media because this is radio. But, uh, and I'm going to also play it, but let's let's talk about uh, how that came about and what, what is that? Absolutely. Um, this is a song that our students composed practically unbidden. Basically, um, you know, as we as we thought we were emerging from the pandemic, we did a we did a kind of a camping retreat. Um, so we did we did the first ever Rhapsody retreat where we had our students and invited all of their parents as well to come and just spend a long weekend 
in the woods and, and just camping out and mostly just enjoying each other's company, cooking good food, playing music informally. And we, we had lady a and Briar teach some vocal lessons and techniques. We had a Steve James down here teaching, um, Luthery or, or beginning kind of stringed instrument maintenance. And in the course of this, you know, one day I had the students break off into their different instrumental groups. And one of our interns, Tate Linden, who's been in the program for five or six years now, um, took Aegis and Nej, two of our newer students, um, to do, to work on violin. There were violin and viola um, for Aegis and Nej. And they ended up writing this song together. And then at the, the evening, we'd share, we'd share music with each other. And so they were like, we'd like to share a song we wrote. And we were all just floored because they wrote they wrote like this timeless folk song in about, you know, 10 minutes. Um, and, you know, Nej said he was like, well, I was just walking along and uh, looking at the peas in the garden there and just thinking about, like, what does this music sound like to me? And so I wrote these oh, lyrics. Wow. And, and they kind of they kind of created after just noodling on the on their on their violin and viola, they created this this melody together. And and so we kind of arranged it and then performed it together. The recording that we have that's up on YouTube that we'll listen to is them performing it uh, in December of last year at our at our big blues mix up. Wow. So it's an original tune of theirs. Amazing. And do you know how old they are? I believe Nej is now 17 and Aegis must be 15. Wow. Uh, Tate, Tate, I think, is 18 or 19. I sure I sure wish I had the resources that they have now when I was their age. <laughs> Likewise. <laughs> Here is the live performance of Surely by the Creekside, written by Aegis and Nej Kasenga and Tate Linden. It's a song that uh, me, my sister, and Tate wrote when we were at the Rhapsody Retreat. The writing process was kind of interesting because literally all it was was like, Joe was like, okay guys, we're gonna split you up into groups by instrument and then you're gonna like practice or play music. And me, Tate, my sister were like, okay, uh, we'll just do something random. It's like, okay, this sounds nice. Let's add some words. Oh, this sounds very country. I like it. And that's how it happened. The uh, name of the song is Shirley by the Creekside.
Wasn't that the sweetest thing? <laughs> you can watch the actual video footage of that performance in the Rhapsody Project YouTube channel. And I'm also going to share it on the um, Color Coded Symphony Facebook page. So that's just one of a number of programs under the Rhapsody Project. And another one is Song of the Month. Um, song of the Month, there's a lot of Song of the Months out there. Um, no matter what instrument you play, I feel like there's always people, you know, trying to collaborate and like learn new tunes. Um, and mm -hmm. so we're, we're another, adding another voice to that, um, but trying to focus on um, early black music and stuff that's like not necessarily at the forefront of the canon. Um, so when you think of blues, uh, we're trying to pick tunes that aren't necessarily the first one that comes to your mind, um, but mm -hmm. tunes that are awesome, that should totally be out there, but just didn't get, you know, the same kind of publicity as like St. Louis blues that, you know, everyone's heard of that one. Mm -hmm. um, and so each month, uh, one of our Rhapsody instructors will up a, like, you know, this is a performance of the song and then um, behind our Patreon, if you join our Patreon, um, there you can get an instruction video every month um, and the instrument depends sometimes it's guitar sometimes banjo um, but it always sort of walk you through the chords and things so instrument you could um, you know learn how to play the melody or sing the melody and then learn the chord structure so do they go so how do they participate they go on your patreon account and then they're they're able to get the song of the month and then participate that way yeah, but you'll see social media, um, all the socials, um, things go out just saying this is the song of the month and here's a performance of it um, from one of our Rhapsody instructors, instructors. And then if you want the instructional video, then you can go to the Patreon. And I think for the song of the month, it's as, it's as little as $1 on Patreon just to get that instructional video every month. And then mm -hmm. um, you can pay in at a higher rate to get access to the Culture Bear Pathways stuff that we already talked about. Is there, is there a, a song of the month for April that maybe I can share it on the radio? Yeah, we just established the song of the month for April is going to be a Charlie Patton. Well, it's, it's a gospel tune that was recorded by Charlie Patton called I'm Going Home. I'm going home. That's, All right. That's coming out. Well, I'm going home. Going home. Going home. Going home. Yeah, I
We started this episode with a Bessie Smith song performed by Briar and Joe, you may recall. Um, so I wanted to ask more about this recording and what that was about. Is that come? Is that all, all already available to the public, or is it still uh, this in production? Is, this is an exclusive premiere, Irene. I wouldn't just give you. <laughs> uh, this is not available to the public. This is something that we've had in the can for a minute. Um, so my wife, Briar is an amazing singer like myself. She is from the rural Pacific Northwest. Unlike myself, she is a black woman. And so she, she travels and teaches and is one of the, one of the living bearers of, of blues tradition in the tradition of Ma Rainey and Bessie Smith and all of the amazing singers that followed them. And so as we travel and teach together, um, she performs songs like this. And so this is from Bessie, this is just an obscure song from Bessie Smith's repertoire that kind of demonstrates that there's just gold out there that nobody knows about. And it's just a fun, funny song that tries to, you know, I, I wanted to include it here because, um, well, because I wanted to give your audience some, you know, some super exclusive good stuff but also it's good because, stuff <laughs> yeah also also just because it's uh it's emblematic of songs we choose in the rhapsody project that are more obscure than usual but also are playful you know like we really try to emphasize the playfulness and the joy in the music which is you know the counter the counterforce to all of the tragedy and the the painfulness of of the 
that has been inflicted on black Americans, right? They've responded mm -hmm. to that experience with ingenuity, with cleverness, with joyousness. And so we try to, we try to really celebrate that and not just emphasize that this is music of sorrow and suffering. And of course that's in there too, but it's really music of resilience and, and, you know, ingenuity and, and transformation in the face of, of unimaginable persecution. So that's, that's what this song represents for me and, um, and why I wanted to share it with you all. Oh, thank you for sharing it. I, I certainly en enjoyed it and, and love it. I'm happy to share it with everybody. And also, um, again, you, uh, I, I see that she's, Briar is also teaching a blues program as uh, along with Lady A uh, in very, was it in various schools or is it a particular event? Yeah, Blues in the Schools is a, is a, is another program where we just we just try to offer schools, you know, if if they'd like to get the the straight dope, as it were, you know, here's the straight here's dope. the way we understand blues, and here is here is <laughs> here are some living um, local culture bearers. You know, we do it in the in the Greater Seattle area. Although we're also we also offer it on an online version that people can access. Is anyway. it just for schools or or for anybody? We would definitely. It, it, if you can make it happen, we will do it anywhere <laughs> that is appropriate. That is not a clan rally. We're there, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we would love to come teach you. Although maybe the clan rally is where they need it the most. Um, I'm just, I'm just saying that, you know, we, we, we gear it towards schools because schools don't have, um, well, as, as everybody knows, you know, American schools are not resourced and that's part of why we exist too, right? Is that, America is doing a poor job teaching ourselves our own history. And so the music is a really powerful way into that history, just like it's a powerful way into understanding issues of racism, diversity, and equity. Um, right. So that's, that's, that's what we're here for. And so Blues in the Schools is one way to do that and that's also great. demonstrate the backbone of American music. That's great. And you also have a library, I see, of, of instruments that you provide uh, for those who are needing instruments. And, and I have to say, to add on to what you said, Joe, you know, I, my first, well, my first instrument was a guitar, but really, you know, for my uncle, but uh, in fifth grade, my very first instrument from school is, a, is the flute or was the flute. And I, I loved it. I thought I was good at it, you know, back then. And then we moved from New Jersey to Yonkers and um, my parents couldn't find a flute teacher nearby. And so I stopped. And uh, at fifth grade, I was so sad because I really loved the instrument. And so I haven't picked it up since. But I think having those resources for, for, for youth, you know, is so essential, is so important. And so I'm, I'm such a fan of what, what you all do at, at the Rhapsody Project. Um, but it's not just, I, I see that you also, see, I, I'm trying to do my research before I have you on here. I see that you have a Yiddish, um, wait, before we, before, before we go there, I also want to talk about um, uh, the song that you, uh, another song that you shared, which is, was it Can't Get Right? Here is Justin Golden with can't get right. Stars align 
is just one of the other totally awesome musicians that we have met in the course of traveling and teaching um, early American blues music. So we met him at the um, at the Augusta Heritage Center in West Virginia, where he was teaching fingerstyle guitar. Um, and his story is really interesting because he basically got into the black keys and started kind of teaching himself guitar and 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 out of just like listening and teaching himself developed a style that is basically Piedmont style guitar and him, him being from Virginia, like that is, you know, it, it was like he re he reinvented the wheel, but it turned out like that he did that in a way that totally reflected his heritage as a black American from Virginia um, in like doing the alternating thumb mm. finger style guitar music. And so like Phil Wiggins, who's one of the great harmonica players who played with the great John Cephas, um, heard him and said you know justin what you're doing is called piedmont that's what you're playing <laughs> and justin was like oh <laughs> and he's been and and he's wow. he's been you know writing his own songs and performing ever since and so so he he caught wind of the rhapsody project when we met him there and in, in west virginia and said hey joe I, i'd like to i'd like to do that where i live um in richmond virginia and oh, i said wow. wow that's awesome uh let's make that happen that and then awesome. we were about to make that happen and the pandemic happened. And so uh -huh. that, that has delayed the, the, be, the beginning of the newest chapter of the Rhapsody Project, but it, it won't be much longer now. Um, it'll right. probably start with like a monthly blues jam and grow from there. Very but cool. That's, that's why Justin's and how Justin's involved. And he, I, I think he also did, uh, what are the song of the months, right? 
was or was yeah. it the very first one very he first might, yeah he does he does some uh he's he's kind of one of the spearheaders of that program um and so you'll see if you if you start following our song of the month you'll start to see justin uh doing some stuff you can listen to more of justin's music at justingolden.bandcamp.com and do you do you play on there? On uh, I, I put one up a couple of months ago. Yeah, sometimes I do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm busy writing curriculum, so when I have time, <laughs> I, I learn the song and, and post something as well. But <laughs> I love it. Oh, well, and, and so I was going to say, you also have a Yiddish um, program. Uh, what is it called? Yiddish Music and Heritage. Yeah, Heritage is, is a big core of, of of your programs, isn't it? So how did how did the Yiddish uh, Music Heritage come about that was just through another one of our our no good musician buddies you know jimmy austin yeah um, he's a fa fabulous trombone player who plays multiple styles but also plays klezmer music and is is of J jewish heritage himself of yiddish heritage mm -hmm. and so he he said you know he had been wanting to get involved for a while and and we realized well like this this could become like you know because i, I guess to go back Another idea of the culture bear pathways, you know, we've started it around black American music, but ultimately the vision for it is that there will be tracks for people to study many different kinds of heritage um, that are out there. Um, you know, we, we really hope to have to find uh, a collaborator who is indigenous and and teach, um, you know, some foundational truths and appropriate elements of of Native American music. Mm -hmm. um, and so another another track that we hope to develop someday is a is a Yiddish heritage track, and so that that will be all in good time. But in the meantime, um, Jimmy has designed with our again the aforementioned uh, intern Tate. Um, they designed an eight week course that traces um, that gives people an introduction to klezmer music and Yiddish culture and heritage um, through the lens of music and how to play the music. So. Wow, that's, that's how that's how the Yiddish program exists now, and hopefully someday it is going to be another track in the culture bear pathways, so that people can really go deep on it and at least spend a year or more immersing themselves in that part of of the American heritage. Uh, that's J Jimmy Austin. Jimmy Austin. But, yeah, you um... can see all these people on our website if you click on. I think it's people is the name. You hover on that, and you can click on, or you hover on the about page and click on people, and you can read about each of these people. I see. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'd love to talk to him about that. Um, you know, my, my project Color Coded Symphony is, uh, you know, I, I play 30 seconds of audio from everyone's uh, roots, uh, where the, their ethnic origins and a lot of the cards I pull is, uh, you know, uh, Jewish. And so I, I wanted to explore that more. And so it'd be good to do a show just focused on that. Um, but anyway, yeah, and I see, I see, as you mentioned, Joe, there's a program that called Layers of Heritage, where is that the path that you were talking about, where people can explore various heritage? Well, Irene, this is where you start to see our problem with the Rhapsody Project. <laughs> we we kind of got a lot going on, and it's probably too much that we have going on. We, we call ourselves an idea factory. Yeah. Full of great <laughs> ideas. And the stuff that's represented on our website is just a sliver. Those are the things that we're like actually making a good faith effort to do. And then we have right. documents that are just lists and lists and lists <laughs> of other great ideas that someday we'll get to. <laughs> well, you're all doing great work. I so appreciate it. And uh, I hope to come up. Is, is there a, a Rhapsody project uh, like 
center or something where people can come and visit or what is the best way? I know there's that we can all go to the Rhapsody Project online, but if someone were to be in Seattle, um, how can we talk to you? Say yes. hello. Excellent questions, Irene, because that prompts another thing that we have in the, in the hopper that's that's developing right now, which is that we have been asked to uh, to be one of the kind of the anchor partners in de developing the second floor of a train station in downtown Seattle, King Street Station. And so basically this the second floor of this place has sat in dormant for like decades, I think like 60 years, nothing has nothing has taken place there. Wow. And so finally, the, you know, Seattle in their efforts to address the lack of cultural space that is owned and controlled and programmed by minoritized people, they reached out to organizations. One of them is Red Eagle Soaring that does native youth theater. Another is Totem Star, who basically helps young musicians record music um, and, and create their own original music and record it. Um, so what what's happening there is Rhapsody is one of these partners that is going to design and program space that serves to provide cultural workforce development programming for young people, black and brown people in Seattle. And so, you know, of course, we're going to, again, we're going to serve all the people, but we're going to center those that are, you know, that, that are from minoritized backgrounds. And so that'll that open awesome. in March of 2023. Wow. And, you know, in addition to all of the programs you see on the website, or most of them, you will also have a, a luthery course where you can you can learn stringed instrument maintenance and repair, and uh, and that'll kind of help also serve as a, a much needed storage space for our instrument library, um, so that we can we can check instruments out to those that don't have them, and we can take people's dusty old guitars and fix them up and make them playable and get them get them playing instead of moldering in someone's basement. So that is so cool. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. I wish I lived in Seattle. <laughs> well, well you be careful. I, we might lure you up. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was gonna say, as you know though, we also do a lot of things online. I mean, I think one of the one of the things positive things that came out of the pandemic, if we if we had to if we had to name a positive a positive thing out of the pandemic, um, yeah. was that we are definitely working um on the Zooms as well. And so many of these programs that we've talked about um, ultimately will probably have like an in-person component for anyone who's in Seattle and continue to have some sort of online version so that we can continue to work with people from across the country um, and across the world. We've <laughs> Hopefully we'll get more international folks with some Canadian folks that participate in some things, but even, oh, even yeah. more far flung would be awesome. Definitely. Definitely. Are you thinking of taking, taking, making a mobile version of this, you know, not just online, but maybe like, you know, uh, going to different regions and saying, hey, this is a program that we have and how can we implement it in your area? Irene, this is supposed to be an interview. You can't be, you can't be giving us things. <laughs> the last thing we need is more things in the idea factory, but that's such a cool idea. I was just gonna say, yeah, we don't have, the, we didn't already have the mobile thing in our on our idea list, but we do have <laughs> the idea ultimately that, you know, just as Justin is starting a Richmond, Virginia chapter that like, you know, if we find the right people in various cities, it'd be great to have chapters everywhere um, and we've even talked about with justin again idea factory down the line but we held a summer camp last year in-person summer camp here in seattle and it'd be cool to line up you know if justin does a summer camp in virginia then we can the on the zooms and like you know study some of the same songs and share during the course of the actual summer camp uh -huh. um so yeah the the more the more chapters the better 
down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and making cool. things hybrid as much as possible, right? Like that's the way that we're designing the, our space at King Street Station is like, ideally, you know, it's like, okay, now we can press a button and record this either for Zoom, a live stream on Zoom or our YouTube channel or what have you, right? But I mean, mm -hmm. you know, what we've learned in part is like, this is a this is an issue of accessibility, right? Of, of equity and accessibility is like, as much as we can make this available to you wherever you are, you know, some people just for whatever reason can't get to where we are, but they have every right to access the programming. So our, our dream is to is to have, you know, a, a team that helps make make our work as accessible as possible. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that, that would definitely be when, whenever a program can be hybridized, let's do it, you know, let's make it that way. Right. Let's take a little break from our interview to listen to another one of Justin Golden's songs. This is called Ain't Just Luck.
back to our interview. Here's Leanna talking more about culture bearer pathways. So that's like a DIY curriculum. You get a packet of information that you then study at your own pace and your own leisure. Um, but there are two Zoom meetings per month that are totally optional. Um, mm-hmm. One to just gather with people and chat about what you're learning. And then a second one is we have a culture becomes um, someone who sort of embodies the theme of the month. Um, and both of those are optional, but the thing is we record them and then we post Patreon. So if you're someone who either is a fan of being in a meeting or you simply can't make the time that it's scheduled, then you can always go back and watch the recording. So you're still getting basically the full curriculum without the interactive part, but you still get to participate even if, you know, you have to work during that time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. It's good for introverts too, who, who maybe not necessarily want to. <laughs> yes, I'm an introvert and I have that in mind all the time when I'm these things. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Joe is the extrovert. We're a great, um, well, actually, I don't want to speak for you, Joe, but Joe is better <laughs> at the public stuff. And so we're a great team. I, I can do some of the behind the scenes work and then he shows up and is the face of the thing. Sometimes it's a great partnership in that way. It is a great partnership. And I, I, I so appreciate you, Joe. I remember during Face the Music, you know, sometimes you'd call on me and I'd be like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know I have to say something. But uh, anyway, well, is there anything else you would like to share about the Rhapsody Project or any other programs under your, your uh, Ideas Factory uh, for our audience? Uh, you know, this is going to be aired for a whole month. And so I want, I want your message to be shared far and wide. Thank you so much for that opportunity. Um, I think, I think, Irene, it's just important to emphasize, like, (laughs) again, like we've gone, we've gone through a lot of different things um, here. And what the Rhapsody Project is really about at its core is relationships. You know, like we, we, we are technically a nonprofit, but we are technically, you know, an educational program that traffics in music, but, mm-hmm. you know, really what we are is a, a group of a community. That's why the mission is we are a community that celebrates music and heritage through an anti-racist lens, right? So mm-hmm. even if you don't know how you want to plug in with us, you know, you know, I can, I can make the capitalist bid and say, donate, you know, like, of course, that's the, that's the most hands-off way to get involved, but, but you know, in terms of like, how we'd prefer you to get involved is just get in touch and be like, Hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm trying to do. Do you have anything for me? You know, like we are, we are a community of people that loves each other. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and that is, that is fundamentally what we are about is relationships and supporting one another. And, and really like the, the whole conception is that there's a lot of people like myself, well-intentioned white folks that just don't really know how to help with the problems that bedevil our society. And so the way we've, we've tried to set up the Rhapsody project and everything from our leadership structure to our intern program is like, let's, let's create a pathway in a way that people that don't know how to help have a way to plug in and learn how to help in their own communities, but then also create a support system so that the young black and brown students that we exist to serve have everything they need, whether it's mm-hmm. a guitar or you know a place to live. Like ultimately, we want to provide that mutual aid and serve the people who should have should be uplifted all the time, but mm-hmm. that our society continues to displace and marginalize. You know that that's that's what we're here. That's what we're about. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever your identity is, like that's what we're trying to do. And we would love people to to reach out and take part. 
So that's, that's what I would say. Well, I appreciate everything that, that you do. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That was Joe Siemens and Leanna Green with the Rhapsody Project. Lots of good stuff. Check out more information at www.therhapsodyproject.org. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Irina Spear too. A color-coded symphony is a musical experience whose aim is to encourage openness and nurture curiosity towards cultures by connecting our ethnic origins to music and rhythms worldwide. Check us out at colorcodedsymphony.com. Big thanks to the Lost Church for providing a platform for our show. Check out their calendar for live in-person shows and radio programs at thelostchurch.org. Till next time, take care, peace, and love to you all. <laughs>